You're listening to episode 107 of G.I. Joburg. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is another festive episode. I've got a cider in my hand, a mince pie in the other. There are Christmas lights blinking in the background. The house is quiet. And my name is Stephen, joined by my two friends. Dashing through the snow, Paul. And deep in a big snowdrift, Cujo who is going to say a quote very quickly from our friend Howard Jonas, and that is test, test, test. Happy holidays, guys. And welcome to what is fast becoming a G.I. Joburg Christmas holiday tradition, where we get together and we share our honest opinions on the latest Star Wars movie. kind of cool that this is becoming a festive tradition. I mean, good or bad, there's always going to be a Star Wars movie around about this time. What do you guys think about that? I love it. Uh, it reminds me of... Okay, God, like, watch half of our listenership roll their eyes now. It reminds me of when the Lord of the Rings trilogy originally came out, and when Harry Potter was still on. It was like, the end of the year meant, oh cool, new Harry Potter, oh cool, new Lord of the Rings. But for me, it was more Harry Potter. I can't speak for the listenership, but I certainly rolled my eyes on both of those. I'm sorry, man. Fantasy just ain't my thing. I don't love Lord of the Rings, but I do love Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, you lost me. How about you, Curtis? <laughs> Are you happy that this is a Star Wars movie, presumably one every Christmas for the next eternity? Thanks, Disney. Well, we did we start doing this with The Force Awoke, right? Correct. <laughs> Awoke? <laughs> so... It's taken two years to get to this point. I think we're finally looking at Mindbender. Yeah, I definitely enjoy the tradition, the camaraderie. Uh, most people spit tweets. Joe Berg's got voices. Uh, it's good to be with you guys. <laughs> yeah, guys, uh, for me, you're the guys I want to speak about Star Wars to the most. Hmm. So I generally reserve my Star Wars opinions until I get to have this podcast episode with you guys. Unless, of course, we have it. But we, we don't ever talk about it. We're like, it's time for a Star Wars episode. I want to talk Star Wars, and we can't. The, li- the listeners need it. You know, kind of And thing, we so. need it, to be perfectly frank. I, I do seem to find the need to talk about Star Wars well up inside me to the point where I, I need to put this episode out, otherwise I might just explode. And it's not about trying to get some kind of clickbait algorithm going, though it couldn't hurt. I mean, G.I. Joburg has a small and dedicated listenership, and riding the coattails of something as massive as Star Wars, and particularly something as talked about as The Last Jedi, couldn't hurt. And that segues nicely into the point that I want to make, that I have taken in a lot of vlogs, film critic essayists, a lot of opinions on this movie. It is very divisive and very intriguing. And in that way, it parallels Empire Strikes Back in a number of important respects. 
and and don't roll your eyes at me now because you know that that I know is a sharp distinction to to draw because I mean they both are the middle um, episodes and 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 one shouldn't necessarily jump to comparisons, but Empire was met with a lot of divided opinion as well back in the day, and this movie has everyone split right down the middle it seems, so it is mirroring its original trilogy middle child if you were quite mm. faithfully in that regard because it's doing something completely different to what we know and love about Star Wars now I'm not going to try and compete with uh, film critics out there and their opinions people far more well read studious and intellectual than I am all I can hope to do in this podcast is speak about how Star Wars The Last Jedi made me feel and I think that maybe is an opinion that we're entitled to uh, as you know the nerdy fanboys that we are it is important it is important to address how the film makes you feel not whether it succeeds on a cinematic level or the themes are well established and brought out and that it refreshes a, a very tired film genre all of that stuff aside how does this movie make you feel and i'm going to swing the mic around and let's get an honest gauging of where we where, where we put this movie in our i suppose maybe top three or top five or top nine star wars movies at this point paul well obviously my absolute favorite is clone wars no i'm <laughs> fucking kidding uh, I hate Clone Wars, I hate the prequel trilogy, and I will speak about that a little bit later. Uh, for me, in terms of my favorites, and I love Empire, I'll definitely say Empire is my favorite film of the Star Wars films. My second favorite is Star Wars, aka Star Wars A New Hope. Uh, my third favorite is Rogue One. I know, controversial, but I dig the shit out of that movie. Um... And uh, the fourth favorite is The Last Jedi. Um, <laughs> and my fifth is Return of the Jedi. Those would be my, my top five. Uh, yeah, if that, is that what you meant, Steve? <laughs> I just want to know where Last Jedi is in the ranking. Do you like it? Yeah, I'd say it's my... Yeah, I you like say, it. You say it beats out an original trilogy movie in that it is better for you than Return of the Jedi. Yes, it was far better than Return of the Jedi, and it's better than all three of the prequels as well, I feel. And it's better than Force Awakens. Force Awakens, if you listen carefully, was not on that list either. Curtis, where does this uh, new Star Wars movie find its way in your ranking? Well, I mean, it may be because we're living in the social media age, but it's definitely the most conversational. You could make an argument for, uh, Christ, what's the first prequel called? Episode 1. <laughs> that works. The Phantom Menace. You know, however you break on that, that's a conversational flick in retrospect, but I think this movie will trump that in, uh, I'm, I don't even want to say that word in a different context, really, but, uh, Dawn of Jar Jar is what it should be called. <laughs> Sorry. Right. There you go. Uh, I was referring to the other word, but, uh, yeah, no, uh, I, yeah, I think that it's that. definitely conversational. I'll say that. So it's, it's a, it's a good one to chat up with smart folks for sure. <laughs> But, okay. uh, of course, Empire is the best. I mean, Boba Fett was winning. I've said. Okay. <laughs> Empire's the best, but does The Last Jedi beat out Return of the Jedi for you? Mm, 
I, I mean, I don't, I don't usually weigh stuff on, on such metrics, but I, I think that, like, I, I think once we get into it. Well, this is my way of, like, hard opening this podcast with a kind of, like, did you hate it? Did you not mind it? Did you love it? Maybe that's a better way of phrasing this. Did you hate it? Is it in the middle? Or did you love it? I thought it was a great, a great film on a few levels. Uh, so I definitely don't hate it. Okay. And Paul, we've established we've established you are a fan of The Last Jedi. Oh, very much so, yeah. Do you want me to say why? No, no, we we'll get uh, there. I, we'll I get there. I, I am I, I, knew I am I'm one of the haters, unfortunately. And this is based solely on my knee jerk as perhaps perhaps that most hated uh sect of of film consumers, and that's the the raging nerdy fanboy who, after watching this film, has realized that Star Wars is no longer made for me. It's no longer aimed squarely at at my, I wouldn't say demographic, but what I hope to gain, what I, what I like to expect from a Star Wars outing, it's no longer delivering that. It's transformed into something else, something barely recognizable and something that I am not in favor with and not on board with. I'll watch them out of curiosity more than excitement from this point onwards. I mean, I think it's fair to say that there hasn't been a true Star Wars movie for this guy since Return of the Jedi. I in no way want to convince you guys or the listeners to change your opinions about this film. Like, I don't. I don't want you guys to do that. I don't want to do that to you guys at all because... As Steven said in the beginning, I, and I feel exactly the same way, uh, I based this on how I felt after watching this movie, uh, how I felt walking out of the cinema, how I felt while I was watching it, and that's the feeling I'm going to go with, for starters. Secondly, uh, by, by an extension of what I said earlier, I also don't really want anybody to convince me otherwise of how I feel, because how I feel is how I feel. And that is why, like, I'm look. I've I've also consumed some YouTube videos and read one or two blogs and articles about Star Wars, uh, about the Last Jedi, and read some of the people's opinions and their thoughts and whatever. And yeah, there's a lot of haters out there, and I I can understand why they hate it. But something that's kind of funny is that when I was growing up as a fan of Star Wars, and I mean I was a kid as we all were with Star Wars, um. I never knew that there was a problem with Luke Skywalker until I was a teenager. Then all of a sudden, everybody hated Luke Skywalker. Then, as I got older, no, all of a sudden, everybody hates C-3PO and e- the Ewoks. And then I get older, and then the prequels come up. And then, okay, well, we can all hate Jar Jar, because fuck Jar Jar, seriously. But everybody had something... The, the generation I grew up with and the generation before me who used to hang out in the comic shops that I used to frequent all used to bitch and moan about the original trilogy anyway, how they hated this, how they hated that. And like I look and I see the same kind of reaction to Last Jedi. And I'm sort of like, well, haters are just going to hate at the moment. And I do sympathize where Steven's coming from in the sense that he says that he feels Star Wars films aren't made for him anymore. I can appreciate that. That's kind of how I feel with toys and and with some of the video games that are coming out at the moment. I'm not their target market anymore. So I can totally, totally relate to that. But um, 
I walked out of Last Jedi really loving it, and I came out with the best co-pilot I could have gone in with. Both Lily and myself were extremely jaded about this new Star Wars offering because we we both enjoyed Rogue One having seen it separately, and we were very, like, there's a lot of trepidation going in. And basically what happened is the film ended, we looked at each other, and we were both like, okay, okay, cool. <laughs> So glad that that didn't suck as bad as it, as bad as we thought it was gonna, you know? And there are some cringeworthy moments, and I'm sure we're gonna get into them in this, uh, episode. But, uh, I really dug it. I mean, Lily and I, it was the first Star Wars I'd watched with a girlfriend who loves Star Wars, which was really amazing as well, which in itself is, is an experience for me. But on the drive home from Pretoria to, my, uh, to Johannesburg, which is about an hour's drive, we were just talking Star Wars and just genuinely getting excited about it. And that was really cool for me. That's what this film did for me. And I was really surprised to see so much hate popping up when I actually looked at Facebook later because I had actually avoided uh, social media. I had a, a self-imposed social media blackout until I'd seen this film. And that's why I went to go watch the first screening in the morning. <laughs> but anyway, enough about me. You guys. Well, how do you want to get your hands dirty, Stephen? Well, I think the obligatory spoiler warning needs to happen right about now. We are now going to speak plot points. If you have not seen Star Wars The Last Jedi and you would like to avoid any kind of spoiler, now is when you step off and uh, continue your, your Christmas decorating or Yuletide fun and join us for a, another G.I. Joe episode uh, shortly. But now we are going to speak Star Wars and we are going to get into the nitty gritty of what bugged me about The Last Jedi. I mean, is it is it right to open up with negative responses? I don't know. But as far as creating talking points is concerned, maybe it's going to be enlightening as to why this film did not sit well with me. Mm. Ryan Johnson has been lauded for challenging Star Wars motifs and and typical Star Wars structures. And I think perhaps that praise is justified in that he has challenged all the other notions of entitlement, lineage. Uh, he has a great irreverence. That's something that I've really tapped into and connected with because that's something that I thought Star Wars should have. It's something that the prequels did their best job to try and rinse out of Star Wars by making it mm. about the Jedi Order and about the dogmatic religious study of the Force and how the Jedi are good because they've codified this, the Force into these these teachings and they have a very cloistered way of dressing and they have, uh, you know, love without sex, without attachment. You know, it is a very dogmatic, very religious study of the Force. And what Ryan Johnson has done with The Last Jedi is challenged that undermined that, shown through Luke Skywalker's failure to reignite the Jedi Order, that maybe the Jedi were wrong all along, that maybe it wasn't meant to be, you know, bookish and codified and and like religious study, that the Force, being a natural occurring phenomenon, belongs naturally to us all, without this kind of sense of ownership of it. Like, the Jedi and the Sith don't have exclusive domain over it. It's not passed on through the bloodlines, like aristocracy. Oh. It can happen to the lowliest of nobodies. 
by revealing Ray to be a nobody. You're tapping into that by showing Luke Skywalker's inability as you know such a a strong uh, force wielding bloodline. I mean, like this notion of the chosen one and the rebirth and the the Messiah. You know, all these kind of religious notions. Ryan Johnson has challenged and thrown out the window. I'm on board with that because I like the idea that Ray can be a nobody and come from nothing, and and I like the idea that Luke Skywalker can be a fuck up, because let's face it, he was an, a farm boy with this destiny thrust upon him, which he rose to. It does not necessarily make him a teacher. It, I mean, yeah. no, no matter how many years have, have passed since since we saw him finally become a Jedi Knight and accept his destiny to now being, you know, codgerly old old Jedi Master, you know, it doesn't necessarily make him any good at passing on what he has learned. So that was the mm. perhaps the strongest plot point I can make light of. But Ryan Johnson, along with all these challenging of Star Wars uh, motifs, what's a better word than motif? Star Wars maxims? Tropes. Star Wars tropes, thank you. Along with doing that, he's also thrown a lot of important Star Wars elements under the bus, and he's kind of made up his own rules, much to his detriment. Need I go on any further than Super Leia? Yeah, I was wait- I've been waiting for that. <laughs> um... Leia Organa manages to defy death in the cold vacuum space where biological life as we know it cannot exist. She comes back to life and Force pulls herself back into the ship. Okay, if we can accept that a Jedi can do that, what was the hullabaloo about in Episode 3? Where it was Anakin's turning point to the dark side by hearing Palpatine discuss a Sith Lord who was able to master the power of life and death. I mean, this happened in legend. So to now subject an audience to seeing it done before their very eyes by someone who has never, to our knowledge, used the Force, at least not cinematically, Mm. is quite a stretch. I mean, there are some serious blanks to be filled in there, this all-powerful Leia character. Uh, let me not move too far beyond that plot point. Does anyone else want to add anything before I discuss another region where I thought Ryan Johnson lost the Star Wars-ness of Star Wars? I don't wear this stuff well. It stresses me out. So the stuff that I'm saying, this is a cathartic outlet for me, so thank you guys. But it's also, <laughs> like, with Disney's treatment of Star Wars, they've taken it from a thematic story to parody. So, like, like the the vacuum of space, I think in an earlier scene that bombing run, there was no permissible seal at the bottom there. So I think Johnson was just treating it more like a he, he's using Star Wars as a canvas to tell just a loose story about you know. But, but go ahead, go ahead. I know what you're saying. Well, Curtis, look, I mean the 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 concept of magnetic shielding to keep the vacuum from you know getting into your your uh, space, your, your your ships. Okay, I can buy that tech, yeah. It is it is established in Star Wars. I mean we have gaping holes in hangar bays all over the place. And That's you know true. you see you see space right just right out there. So I mean I, I I disagree with you on that point. But it's it's good. I'm glad you're thinking technically. 
Because another thing that bugged me about this film, the central plot point revolves around a resource scarcity. The ships are running low on fuel. So low that they can't jump to hyperspace again. They can't escape their pursuers. Where in Star Wars have we ever had a scarcity of resource? Where have these ships ever run out of fuel? If you're going to draw parallels to Empire Strikes Back, which a number of reviewers that I respect have done, I think they've made Mm. a critical error because in Empire... It is well established a number of times in the lead up to that, that the hyperdrive on the Falcon is what is at fault. It is a mechanical failure. It is not a resource scarcity. The Falcon cannot jump to hyperspace and is therefore forced to play a cat and mouse game through an asteroid field and through various uh, hijinks like, you know, a, a frontal attack on a Star Destroyer hiding on said Star Destroyer, and eventually limping off to Bespin. So this is something that we we establish a number of times in the opening scenes of Empire, and unfortunately the resource scarcity was Ryan's brainchild, must have been, as a plot point, and yet has absolutely no precedent in Star Wars or established filmic, canonic Star Wars whatsoever. And I thought to myself... Maybe this is script writing by committee. Maybe a bunch of people who are rather tangential with Star Wars and who are basically just Disney board members or part of their massive script writing uh, uh, pool, think tank. Yeah. think tank, is responsible for this because they've seen this trope played out successfully or far more successfully in other science fiction uh, films. Battlestar Galactica. <clears throat> Bingo! Thank you. Uh, but in Star Wars, it, it jars me. It pulls me out of it. Where you have tiny one-man fighters that can jump to hyperspace and span enormous spans of, of, of the galaxy. Uh, you know, a single X-Wing. Luke, in Empire, he goes all over the place in his X-Wing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no need for any kind of refueling. Now you've got this gigantic cruiser and it's limping along, running out of fuel. And because this movie takes place hot on the heels of uh, Force Awakens, the New Republic has only just been wiped out. The Resistance, or Rebels as they become known, have only just had their, their lifeline cut. So it's not like they've had to uh, fight on for months, if not years, no, they, they've only just lost their most critical f- uh, defeat. So it's, it's baffling to me, um, you know, that a, a movie can hinge so much on something that is uh, so out of place. And it, it pulled me out. But the thing that pulled me out right up front, and this is kind of what you touched on, Cooj, is humor. Humor that has very little place in a hard opening that we're accustomed to with Star Wars. And humor that is actually pretty damn unfunny. I didn't hear a single titter of laughter in the cinema that I was in. And I was in a full, fully seated capacity, uh, chock full cinema. And I, I, I can only speculate that a number of people can report the same thing. It was unfunny. 
to have the interchange between General Hux and Poe Dameron at the top of that otherwise incredible action sequence. Uh, you know, it takes... It, it, it's, it's perhaps trying for the same charm as Harrison Ford's ad-lib in A New Hope, where, you know, it's like, uh, everything's fine here, situation normal, um, we're fine, uh, how are you? Uh, we're having technical... Uh, no, largely, uh, v- very dangerous, a large reactor leak, uh, boring conversation anyway. Look, we're gonna have company! You know, that moment, that glorious moment was played out between Poe and General Hux, perhaps about five comedy beats too far. And it was funny as a rusty crutch. And I know it was all just a delaying tactic so Poe could uh, do whatever he needed to do. You know, the progress bar on his MacBook or, or PC had to fill up. But it was boring. And it pissed me off. And it tricked me into thinking that this screenplay was written by a bunch of Disney writing pool members who know that they need to follow their tragic beats with comedy beats and their action beats with comedy beats. Everything has to have comedy sandwiched into it a la any number of CG holiday movies you could list and, unfortunately, the Marvel movies as well. Yeah, I agree with you. So that snapped me right out. I was like, I'm just going to watch this movie in disgust and marvel at how many times the heavy hand of Walt Disney has fucked with... That Star Wars feel. Well, the temperature in the room is friggin' freezing right now. Is there any characters or anything or any relationships that you felt the story moved in a positive direction? Like, was there any kind of characters that you were drawn into? When Kylo and Rey teamed up to take down the Praetorian Guards, I felt a genuine swell of excitement. I was like, okay, we might be an hour and a half into this movie, but now I'm on board. I can forgive the failings yeah. at Canto Bite. I can forgive Super Leia. I can forgive the lame-ass, not-funny comedy. To see these new characters join forces and do something genuinely unexpected. I mean, who saw the killing of Snoke? Uh, that was just a masterstroke. That was a great, like, like pull the rug out from under you. This Star Wars movie is going to fuck with everything that you expected kind of moment. That got me on board in a big way. I was, I was, I was there. I was ready for it. I was like, this is cool. This is unprecedented. This is, this is new direction that I'm actually interested in. It's not just like, ooh, let's introduce a new theme of like, it's not just the jackbooted Imperials that are evil, but the whole system of people that get wealthy on the backs of warfare. Like, okay, mm. that's a new theme, but I'm kind of bored by it, actually. We did not have to have an alien horse race through the fucking streets of this gambling planet. I honestly thought at that mm. point, holy shit, they are going on a side quest, which is pretty lame, but they are going to make it all pay off because guess who the codebreaker is? You know, they're going to do a massive reveal. This guy down on his luck at the, at the, the, the end of a, of a gambling table, like his last few credits, he's about to, to play away. It's this washed up old man called Lando Calrissian. I was like, fucking A, that's what's going to happen and I'm on board. But they don't. Unless it was just not meant to be like that. Very, very lukewarm. Look, I believe uh, Billy D. Williams is not in the greatest of health. So 
that might have been where they were going with it, but he wasn't able to uh, to accept the contract. Uh, maybe, maybe. And then they pulled in Benicio and kind of pulled a little bait and switch on us, which um, yeah, also fell flat for other reasons. I don't think Del Toro's character is going to be in the conversation too much, but as far as swagger, that guy had it. But that costume design and everything around, like, he was wearing was just so plain and boring. Like, <laughs> is there any explanation where that makes sense? Something about that character I liked quite a bit is that he is kind of like Han Solo. And I don't want to say, like, I know those are big words, but it's kind of like, you know, we know Han Solo, the scoundrel, um, but like the lovable scoundrel, you know, like. He's on the side of the rebellion. He's on, you know, he he takes Luke and Obi-Wan uh, to go and rescue the princess and everything. But, you know, as long as they pay him, you know, he's got the bounty on his head, etc., etc., right? But the thing is, we never deal with Han, like, on the bad side of Han. Because he is a scoundrel. He is a scallywag. And he is the type of dude that has screwed people over. I mean, there's a reason so many people hate Han Solo. And I think with, with Benicio Del Toro's character, whose name I cannot remember for the life of me. DJ. Yeah, DJ, there we go. I think with him, we were meant to sort of see the bad side of the smuggler, the bad side of the, the scoundrel in that world. You know, the, this kind of bad side of Han Solo, which I, that's at least what I took away from it and what I enjoyed about him. And I think the fact that he doesn't stand out visually with his clothing was meant to sort of allude to the fact that he purposely makes sure that he looks unimportant and that's how he does his job well because later on when he's accepting money he's wearing a uniform you know uh, so he could be a spy you know that's the thing with him we're not entirely sure but i definitely got the impression that this guy is all about being incognito as much as possible and, and that comes across in the fact that i couldn't even remember his name that's how the character put itself across that way but then again it is star wars and you liked this movie my I honest opinion, movie. they could have cut that whole subplot out and shaved off like 45 minutes of the runtime. The problem is no. they were looking for something for Finn and Rose to do. Yes. And try as they might, those are characters that I don't think I'll ever really fully warm to. I don't know. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned Finn because, okay, like, and I think this is one of the, the few negative things. And I think I'm just going to list... Right now, the, the three negative things that I have in this film, and I just want to put them out there so that they're out there and they're done. And they all actually, I can kind of redeem them, and that's the thing. I know I'm wearing rose-tinted glasses here, but I'm not coming from the point of view of a Star Wars fan. I'm coming from the point of view of somebody who went in and enjoyed that film. Leia flying and doing her thing. Yeah, when that happened, um, admittedly, I did cringe a little, but but the way that they did it in the film is like, Everybody was just as surprised as the audience was at that happening. You know what I mean? We were, I think everybody involved in that cinema right there and then were like, what the fuck? <laughs> kind of thing. No, exactly, uh, Paul. Ups. Is that a positive reaction? Yeah. It's a cornball moment. So. That moment broke the movie. It broke it. Irreparably. You see, but that's the thing. It, for me, it doesn't really because I think, and this is the, okay, and this, there, herein lies the problem when, with, well, not a problem. It's just film sometimes all art mirrors the, the, the period that it comes from. And Leia passing away, uh, oh, Leia, Carrie Fisher, sorry, passing away, 
I think had a, a major impact on the film. I think it, it, it led to a lot of stuff being rewritten. And I think in a lot of ways, this film was trying to create like a sort of a reverence around Carrie Fisher and her being able to do that. I think in a lot of ways, I think it backfired on them, to be very honest with you. But I think what they were trying to do is... <laughs> yeah, they bet the farm on the wrong Skywalker surviving, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, that's the thing. They were trying to bring her back to life in the in the minds of the audience because she had passed away. And admittedly, I had actually forgotten that she had oh, passed you, away while watching you this. Think, you think that was uh, an addition to the film, in retrospect? Yeah, I don't think that was something that they actually originally sort of did. I think that she was going to properly die there. No, you know? Paul, I gotta disagree uh, with you, man. There's, there's no. She is a major, major player in the the rest of that film. You know, all the sequences on crate. You know, she goes into a coma for a bit, but she's back with a vengeance as soon as Poe tries to 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 conduct his mutiny on board that ship. So, yeah, no, I, I disagree with you. I think she was she was okay. always going to enough. be a major major character in this movie, and the plan, evidently, since Leia Organa survives, uh, was that she would be this essential character in Episode Nine. So, as I say, they bet the farm on the wrong. The wrong Skywalker. Skywalker. Okay, but that. Okay, so like, just getting back on track for me is, so that was one moment in the film that I I didn't love. But also, there were so much, so many other things that happened in the film that it kind of like walked over that moment anyway, and I actually kind of slightly forgot about it. And until um, the next CGI abomination happened. (laughs) Carry on. Well, okay. Well, we'll we'll get there, but. And then the other thing that another thing that I didn't really like, and something I don't, I, I've I've actually grown to dislike quite a bit in this current line of Star Wars, but we'll see where it goes. I do not like Finn. I actually do not understand Finn's purpose uh, at all in in the new Star Wars. It's to add that swagger, man. You know, yeah, he's a cool, relatable, just, everyman kind of character. <laughs> see, I don't, I don't see him that way. I see him, I see him as the Zeppo or Zeppo, like. He's just there, you know what I mean? He's like, he's just there, and he's there to like. He's the cheap gag man, but his gags aren't funny. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel Can about. Can it him. be a more useless character? And it's no, and it's oh please, and it also just so we we clear as well, it's no offense to the actor. I think John uh, John Boyega is a great actor actually, and I think he plays Finn really well. I just think that Finn is kind of a a misnomer for me as a character. It's just, I. I I, I I don't know I don't I can't imagine many kids going oh wow Finn is my favorite and that's kind of sad because in Force Awakens it felt like he had the potential to to be like sort of the audience's eye um, but then that sort of falls apart in that Look, film I think there as well. Are, there are some and- cosmetic changes, minor mm-hmm. ones that would help us find Finn a little bit more accessible, more relatable. And they're, they're, they're clerical small errors that, are, that have been made with this character. By making him really contemporary in the way he speaks and acts, in some yeah. a vain effort to try and uh, inject contemporary humor and swagger into yeah. Star Wars, I think that falls flat. Star Wars always had a kind of a more timeless feel about it. You know, no one exactly. was like really hip or street or whatever. Like everyone wore capes or or or, or puffy blouses. Like it, people act, spoke, walked in a way that was less 
couched in a kind of an everyday uh, reality. And Finn, yeah. just, he just ain't funny, man. Stop trying to make him have punchlines and make those punchlines yeah, like... Also, try and and not make him betray his own uh, everyman-ness. I know this is yes. a ridiculous thing to ask of Star Wars, a film where almost everyone can do almost everything. Yeah. But Finn's initial strength, the way he was sold to us, was he's a janitor doesn't want to be a part of this war. He doesn't know what he's doing in this war. He can't fly a starship. He's being thrust into it. He freezes up in combat to suddenly prospectively thrust him into being a war hero who's about to sacrifice himself. I I don't know. Like, If you want to make him self-serving and loathsome, make him that. Yeah. Don't change his stripes for the sake of building an interesting arc. You know, there are other characters that I don't know. I don't know. I I, I just well, I'm, I'm okay. trying to fix this character. No, I, but that's the Let's... thing. I, I don't feel he can be. To be quite honest with you, I just don't feel that he's a character that can be very easily redeemed in my eyes. And they're going to have to do something really special. And that brings me to the third thing that I couldn't stand. I actually think he should have died. Honestly, I think if he went out the way that he did, it would have been like, okay, cool. That's the end of his journey. Wow, that him passing, him dying the way he did for the resistance would have also, I feel, have given um, what's her Rose. name? Forget, no, not Rose so much. Uh, Ray. Um, main Ray. Thank you. Would have given Ray a bit more purpose. You, you know, like, and that would have been different because then Ray would have also had to contend with revenge or thoughts of revenge as well on her path. Can I just put things yeah. in perspective, though? I mean, within the timeline yeah. of these two films, Ray has known Finn for approximately, like, two days. <laughs> no, that is true, but the thing is, you know, they did feel that they had this connection, you know? Like, I mean, they, they do play up the whole, oh, he, he knows that, you know, he's thinking of her and she's thinking of him kind of vibe. I just felt that they could have used him for a vehicle for that, and they didn't. Even even if um, Chromia... Uh, uh, well, I say Chromia. I don't know if it is Chromia. Uh, killed him. That would have also been cool. Captain Phasma. Phasma, thank you. Chromia, why do I keep saying Chromia? Who is that? Anyway. Dude, this is a hard movie to chew on. So, I mean, like, this may be one you have to watch every ten years. I can't. I cannot bring myself to rewatch it. I'm sorry. Not going to happen. What you're feeling right now is not completely alien to what G.I. Joe has been feeling for you know, off and on for a year now or so. Yeah. Like, and it's not, it's not, by, it's not an accident and, and we'll get there, but I did want to speak about Rose. I actually liked her. Um, I thought she was a voice yeah. that had, that wasn't in Star Wars before she, she had some, you know, she lost her sister. I thought it was a good arc. I, I thought there was no payoff at the end. Like one thing Disney won't do is they won't give you emotional closure, you know, do with that what you will. But they don't like to give characters a close. They, they want to leave everything open-ended. A lot of tabs are open on Star Wars right now. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, there's one more thing. I'm sure you guys hated this too. I mean, I'm sure Steve's got a much longer list. Um, those bombers in the beginning. What the fuck? Like, why replace perfectly good B-wings and Y-wings with those fucking things? They're completely useless. They have the most glaring flaw in their design. They move as slow as shit. Why? Why? 
Like, even the way they operate And they them, seem to, to use gravity uh, or some some semblance of gravity. I mean, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't fire their weapons from range. They had to kind of fly over a target in space. And this is the biggest nerdy fanboy rant of all, to speak about the technical aspect of that. But, yeah, it was an aesthetic choice over a practical one. I mean, we all know yeah. George Lucas used footage from the Dam Busters and other archival dogfight footage and World War II footage to string together his action sequences. Some of those action sequences totally. include bombers with manned guns within the bombers, fending off nimble uh, Messerschmitts and, and German fighter planes. So that aesthetic was being imported wholesale into the opening of this film. But yeah, it absolutely does not hold up to any kind of scrutiny. You know what, that's the thing. I can get behind the romance of that. I mean, ultimately, Star Wars is space opera. And that's the thing I love about Star Wars. It, it doesn't conform itself to the same kind of strict sci-fi rules that things like Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica, etc. follow. And that is why I can get behind your comment earlier about um, the fuel cells and, and how it turns Star Wars' space opera into a slightly different brand of sci-fi. And and I and and how you find that jarring? I can actually totally relate to that. Although it doesn't offend me, as uh, it doesn't offend me the way it offends you. But but well, man, that whole time I was just thinking like, all you need is a first order star destroyer to drop out of hyperspace ahead of the cruiser and pelt it. I mean, all of its exactly. shields were 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 redirected to the rear. Like, no no one in eighteen exactly. hours in eighteen hours of chase thought to do that. Yeah. Dude, nobody is going to say that that was a tight movie. It, it was, like, plot-wise, it made no sense. What I think Rian Johnson... Rian Johnson? Ryan? Ryan. Ryan Johnson, yeah. All right, apologies on that one. Because, dude, you know dude, you know he's in Joburg. Everybody's in Joburg, by the way. Uh, we, we see those downloads. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. Yeah. I think what his his intention, and again... Disney is not George Lucas. I mean, Lucas may be on the dark side arc. Like, I can't track him. He doesn't have enough stuff going on online. But Disney does. And I think that, like, if you want to save your sanity, this is not Star Wars anymore. This is a commercial of what Star Wars was. So, like, if you can go into the theater going, you know what? This isn't going to bring me any spiritual growth. Because, like, the first time you watch Star Wars... It makes you believe you can beat something massive. That's its whole intention. I mean, that was where Lucas was then. Where Ryan Johnson is now, maybe he's trying to tell us. You referenced that one. I'm going to call it the Red Showroom. That was <laughs> exhilarating, and it probably should have been the final scene. Because when I first saw that scene... That's the movie right there. That's the only message that Disney wants to convey. And I'm not ready to get there yet. But I will say, since uh, Rob's in deep cover, did you see that 33, Rob? It was right <laughs> when Leia woke up when she heard Luke's voice. The 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 medical thing flashed 33. It's that's not bad. That's not bad. You know, we can't help it as Star Wars fans, but to feel that the second movie of the of any Star Wars trilogy is going to be the darker, more desperate uh, of the trilogy. So we automatically go in there thinking. Uh, Empire, we think that we're going to have these massive revelations. We feel like we're going to 
see um, the rebellion at its lowest uh, point. We're going to see our protagonist uh, struggling the hardest to, to find themselves. And although a lot of that was in this film, I do kind of like the fact that they kind of trolled us a little bit as fans. Like, I think as fans, we tend to, like, get very... A um, little bit? A little bit? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I was being diplomatic, but... Luke throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder. I mean, jeez. Talk about trolling. That was out of character, even for someone who's bitter at the Jedi Order. That's like, wow. I, I, I would be fascinated by that just as a historical point of view. Like, this lightsaber survived Bespin and all these years? Jeez. Hi, Dad. But you see, like, I... Like, uh, like, uh, and, and that's what I wanted to get at. You know, we spoke about tropes. And as I said, I like that they trolled us fans a little because as fans, we tend to be very, very married to, to the tradition of what we feel Star Wars is. And when things like this happen, it does shock us. It does irritate us. You know, and, and we don't have to like it. And that's the cool thing. You know, we can like it if we want to. We, we can just like it if we want to, whatever. But, and yet you liked this movie, Paul. I do like this film. I do like that Luke is bitter the way he is. Why? Because I see him as a veteran. He's a veteran. He's seen a lot of shit. He's seen that what he's doing has almost betrayed him. Like being a Jedi has actually betrayed him in his life. It's, it's made him, it's made him that way. And seeing that lightsaber, I mean, yeah, there was a moment of quiet contemplation. He looked at it, sort of studied it for a little bit. And then he must have had all of that post-traumatic stress disorder that came with it, you know, like, you know, losing his hand, facing off against his father. And then whatever else happened after Jedi that, you know, that we, that, that is revealed to us a little later, you know, with Fabio going bad, Kylo Ren going bad, that kind of stuff. So yeah, he got rid of it because it's, it's the same thing. I mean, war veterans, people who have been in serious conflict, they, when they see things like guns and stuff like that or, they could see any kind of thing that triggers off these horrible memories and they don't want to deal with that. So he's actually broken and I'm actually okay with that because like you said before, he's just a farm boy. He's not this trained Jedi. He was barely trained well by Yoda and whatever training he got after Empire or, you know, between Empire and Jedi and then after Jedi must have been from Yoda and from Jedi texts and whatever else is. And I mean, I'm, I'm purposefully excluding expanded universe here because we all know an expanded universe. He goes and goes back to Tatooine and trains Obi-Wan and Dash Rendar is sent to protect him, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Um, but the whole thing is, is like, I just love that he is the way he is. He's not trained to deal with this shit. He's, he's not ready. He, and and even Yoda sort of later on kind of mentions it to him. He's like says, you know, you can't necessarily see the thing that's right in front of your face. You can't deal with what's in front of you. And ultimately, that is himself. He cannot deal with himself. He cannot. He he, he well, just can't. He feels so betrayed by by the concept of the Force and by being a Jedi. And I can relate to that, um, in some regards. I mean, and I'm sure we all can in some way. And I'm not talking about like if like like we've gone to fight wars or anything. But we've all spent a considerable portion of our lives doing something that perhaps was right at the time. But when we look back, we kind of go, oh, wow, we wasted so much time doing that thing. And we could have saved all this money. We could have made different choices in our lives and things like that. And sometimes those things haunt us, especially if we find ourselves in a position where we're kind of stuck. And that's and I, I could understand that, Luke. And I liked that, Luke. 
And that's why at the end, when Luke is badass and when he has his final moment, I was like, okay, cool. This is a Luke who's now actually found he's in a piece again. He actually understands that this is the way things are going to change. And he can't necessarily be in control of that change. And being in control of that change is what's caused most of the shit in this galaxy in the first place. Yeah. Hold on. Let's talk about that exile for a minute. As far as islands go, fictional islands, I spent some time on the Lost Island. I enjoyed that. Obviously, Cobra Island is, is the best island. How are you feeling <laughs> about Luke's Island? Oh, my God, it's depressing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm just uh, saying there's probably a whole bunch of really nasty fan fiction out there, okay? <laughs> what about milking those those cow things, those sea cows? Oh, fuck, how crazy was that? That that thing legitimately had four boobs. Christ, that was disgusting. That's one whole boob more than Total Recall. That was disgusting. <laughs> I mean, you can you can call Luke a farm boy, but he, had, he never had to handle livestock. They were moisture farmers. I mean, yeah. his kind of ascetic... Is that the right word? It's, uh, yeah, ascetic is right. Existence is... Oh, difficult to watch because I feel like once again they are trying to go for cheap gags. Like, you know, he he starts spearing the water and then he's walking with a giant fish over his shoulder, and he drinks this blue milk out of a alien creature's teat, and wipes his beard and has a smug grin on his face. I mean, it's like we've all seen these montages, perhaps in chop socky Hong Kong cinema, like. Drunken Master, stuff like that, where you've got the eccentric master, yeah. a la Yoda. And here we see it trotted out with Luke, but, you know, I always wanted Luke to not walk in the same footsteps as all the Jedi Masters that went before him. It saddens me that, once again, you know, they didn't try and do anything different with him. He literally went forth and tried his hands at being a Jedi Master and trainer of Jedi. Pass on what you mm. have learnt was really taken literally. In, in his case, as a kind of a life of servitude. So, mm. damn right. I'm kind of glad he's pissed off about it in the old end and feels like, mm. you know, fuck this shit. But yeah, exactly. that's the point of a character's journey where I suddenly become interested in that character again. Unfortunately, yeah. he shuffled off into the ether at the end of this movie and that's Luke Skywalker's story concluded. It broke my heart. Things were just getting good, and he's gone. Did the porgs break your heart? <laughs> Buddy, neither here nor there. Once again, another factor why I cannot bring myself to watch this movie ever again. It's instantly forgettable and instantly shelvable. Hmm. No. It brings me no joy. I don't hate porgs. I'm like completely indifferent to them. Well, when Lily and I were talking about it, she just said, there's obvious Disney in this film. And, you know, it's there because... You know, Disney has to sell action figures to kids and has to sell merchandise to kids. And the Porgs is just something we just knew from the beginning. The Porgs were going to be exactly that. And I'm like, thank you, Chewie, for fucking eating one. Um, <laughs> because, you know, well, we didn't that know that Yoda was going to make an appearance. And that's Disney's stamp all over it again. How many millions of Yoda plushies are going to find their way under Christmas trees this holiday season? Because he made an appearance in The Last Jedi. Luke could have had that conversation yep. with anyone. He could have had that conversation with oh, Obi-Wan. If uh, 
you know, maybe maybe you and McGregor could be paid enough uh, millions to make an appearance in another Star Wars movie. He could have had that conversation with his dad. But no, they yeah. picked Yoda because it's Yoda. And they know that the Jedi Master who is passed on, who will get the biggest response from any audience, is Master Yoda. That lovable old curmudgeon critter. So decisions like that really irk me. I hated that yeah, cameo. Yeah, but I... Hated okay. that cameo. <laughs> and the fact that he can summon Force Lightning as a, as a Jedi ghost, the fact that Yoda can do that, pisses me off even more. Why didn't all the, the Jedi Knights, why didn't yeah. all the Jedi Knights in their spirit form pitch in in the, the conflict between Luke and the Emperor? Oh, we cannot interfere. We cannot interfere, bullshit. They have plenty of sway over the physical realm if they can send force lightning. Hell, I swear, Yoda even tapped on Luke's forehead with his stick in a kind of a callback to what he did in Empire Strikes Back. But he's a ghost! I mean, don't get me started. I'd like to think that as a force ghost, your time is still finite. Your presence in the physical realm will end over time. The fact that Yoda is still bumbling about, as I say, Luke could have conversations with anyone he picks, you know? Hey, Dad. Obviously, you didn't watch Coco, or you'd know that ghosts hang around as long as you remember the person. But, aside from that, as a parallel... From the red red showroom, there, the scene with Yoda and Luke was the same thematic about destroying the past so you can have a new future. Did that resonate with you guys? Um, Very much so, especially with Ray. Okay, but as far as Yoda taking delight in the destruction of the the canon of knowledge that existed of a religion. Which, which Johnson was clear to point out. One of the messages like that I got from that, a dogmatic approach is eventually going to get stale and things do need to change. And, and that is definitely a theme throughout the whole film, that things need to change. And Star Wars has a very strong foundation in sort of in samurais, um, especially the Jedi. And, you know, a lot of people know all of the really amazing things about samurai. You know, even people who don't know much about samurai uh, if they think about them, they think about the code of Bushido. They think about these honorable warriors who who would fight one-on-one. But what they also don't know is that a lot of these honorable warriors actually did a lot of really shitty things as well and could hide behind those honorable banners and whatever that were created around them. But essentially, the they samurai... Ran the Jedi, the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy, were the first ones on the fucking front line in the Clone Wars, man. They became warlords. Well, exactly. They dude. became generals in a intergalactic conflict to put down dissidents to the the, the old republic. So exactly, yeah. and that's uh, not right. It's, 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 it's the Crusades. It's the Crusades. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I don't want to step on that's anyone's why. real world religious toes. Let's lighten the mood a little bit and talk a little bit about uh, something that I hope you guys saw and picked up on. <laughs> Which character did Finn have his first interactions with in this film? Um, it was Poe, right? It was Poe Dameron. Yes. What was the first thing that happened, that transpired between these two characters? The the peeing suit. <laughs> Finn leaked fluid, squirted 
if you will, fluid all over Poe. <laughs> Someone's getting really meta with their uh, fan reactions to these two characters, quote unquote. Or friendship. is it a projection? Uh, of mm. what? Of uh, yeah. Look, I mean that 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 was a rather heavy-handed visual metaphor. You know, essentially, Finn is so happy to see his old pal that he just ejaculated all over his chest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you just ruined the movie, yeah. man. I thought you were lightening the mood, brother. <laughs> Hold on. Before we whiplash, I, I'm not going to get dark, but I am going to kick Mindbender's ass at the back end of this. But let's have some fun before that. We're getting to that. I certainly feel like I've said my piece on this uh, this film. I mean... It would become extremely ranty and 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 far exceed the ambits of of this analysis, if you will, this discussion of the Last Jedi to say how it deviates from how I imagined these characters would have lived out their stories. Because I am not exposed to the expanded universe, nor am I in line with these movies. So my mm. take on what happened to Luke, Lando, Han, Leia steps outside the bounds of all of these other uh, uh, properties. But it's something that I clung to so desperately because I needed to decide for myself, as most of us did, what happened to these beloved characters. If not for my own time with my action figures, just for my general understanding of the Star Wars world. Because for so long, there was no movie waiting in the wings to be released. What happened was purely left to your own imagination. You had some sense that this was a small part of a bigger story, but that story mm. was not ever going to be made. I mean, it was not likely to ever see uh, release. Uh, so the episode numbers always kind of threw me into a quandary. Like, what what happens in, in 7, 8, and 9? I made it up for myself. And boy, oh boy, the apple has fallen far from the tree. I'll get into that in another episode. I'll leave you guys guessing. But um, I'd like to know from each of you gentlemen, when did you figure out, or did you figure out, that Luke wasn't actually on crate? Uh, for me, initially, you know, because they, they kind of like, give you the impression that he pulls a Darth Vader or a Kylo Ren, where he might, may have just stopped all the blasts or been able to uh, bounce them back. But, and, and the thing is with this film, it does fuck with you a little bit, like, you know, by changing a few tropes or challenging a few tropes. But I definitely felt that, like, at some point I was like, if he's repelling those, the, all of that firepower, we should be seeing ricocheting blaster shots coming off, right? Or, in the very least, we should start seeing them sort of build up and floating around him. So, uh, a part of me was like, yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I think somehow he is projecting himself or something. But that that was only like in the back of my head. I'm not going to like go and say, oh, yeah, I totally, totally saw it coming because I didn't. I just felt, hmm, maybe he is or maybe he's like somehow found a way to make himself uh, corporeal, you know, like. So it was the moment when he stepped out of the blast crater. Yeah. When you were like, hang on. Yeah. Kujo? Well, he didn't have any red dust on him. I mean, dude, I wasn't shocked by the exaggeration of powers. I got deflowered by the Force Unleashed. Anybody who played those games, that was rough. (laughs) I'm not playing around. Oh, fuck, I was so hoping you would have pulled... uh, I I was so hoping he would Force Crush 8080s, but anyway, carry on. Or at-ats, if you prefer. 
He wasn't there, Paul. I know, but I'm just Maybe saying. Maybe if he been had cool. been there, it would have been a cool uh, action sequence. But anyways, uh, yeah, continue, Kujo. I kind of was just along for the ride. I saw the flick basically alone. I was with company, but we wanted to sit in different parts of the theater. And then I wanted to check one more part of the flick, so I did go back and watch like the middle hour of it because I just had a work day chopped in half. But uh, did you pay for your ticket? Well, I'm good with theater people, so I'm good. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> so no. Yeah, maybe I would have enjoyed it more if I hadn't had to pay for it. <laughs> Take my money, Disney, for force feeding me this. Sh- well, I feel like nowadays you can't watch a movie for enjoyment without like really you have to have like a clean view of it. If I was with my lady, I probably wouldn't have had as critical an eye on it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I'm one of the first people to tell you that your company can affect um, your viewpoint on a, on a film. Cheers. But you didn't answer my question, sir. When did I know? Yeah, when did you know that Luke wasn't actually on Crate? I think I was in a elevated state of mind myself, and I, I think I was just along for the ride. I wasn't really digging in. So I was surprised. I didn't really care for the, uh, the Matrix move. That didn't sit well. Yeah, he had to have uh, no contact with Kylo, otherwise the uh, illusion would have been broken. For me, it was also when he emerged from the blast crate. I was like, nah. Nah, he's not there. And then, obviously, the evidence started presenting itself. I was like, he's got the lightsaber that just got blown up. He's also looking rather spry. He's far less gray in his hair. And then, obviously, what sealed it was the non-contact battle that he had with Kylo, leading up to that swipe that uh, never connected. Well, it did. I mean, before he passes away, Luke kind of clutches his side, and he's like... Ooh, okay. So that's how this works. And then fades into nothingness. Yeah. Hmm. With the two sons and, yeah, no, it was... It would have been uh, moving if I wasn't already lamenting this movie. Hamill's incredible, by the way. (laughs) Dude, I don't think that that moment is meant to make you go... Like, I don't think that that... The whole way that, at least to me, the whole way Luke's death was handled was not meant to send you reeling. It was meant to, you were meant to just accept it. Like, it was, I don't know how to explain it to you, what the best way to explain it to you is, but I immediately felt after that, I was like, it's sad. And in fact, Leia actually informs us on how we should be thinking as an audience. She says that, I can't remember, I can't quote her verbatim, but she basically says, you know, don't be sad, he acted with purpose, blah, 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 that kind of whole spiel that she says. I'm sorry, I cannot quote it verbatim. But basically, she's informing us how we should feel. And I actually thought that was very clever um, film making. And, you know, if you get if you got into that point in the movie and you've already been jaded, I think that whole moment is lost on you. I think if you're a bit more bright eyed and bushy tailed like I was, it wasn't lost on you. (laughs) But something I would like to know from you guys, can you guys find at least three things in this film that you really enjoyed? Because. I think our audience is, and I would also like to hear what you guys think were the three coolest part of the parts of this film for you. Yeah, because so far, Paul, uh, you haven't done us a great job, a great service of of convincing us why this film is enjoyable. Well, I'm, I'd said I wasn't going to, I wasn't trying to convince you guys. I'm just having a conversation. <laughs> so you just allowed me to uh, have a complete carte blanche to turn this into a rather negative review. 
things that I enjoyed about the Last Jedi. Uh, the irreverence. The irreverence in dealing with Snoke. Yeah. The irreverence in revealing Rey to be a nobody. The irreverence that Luke experiences regarding the Jedi Order and the beliefs that he's tried so hard and failed to instill in others. I, I just wish that it happened earlier in his career and life. This is a lament that I have for these sequels because we're catching up with the heroes of the rebellion, the heroes of my childhood in the twilight years. I kind of wish that, you know, they were still young enough to actually do something proactively about the course of this galaxy, rectify their own mistakes instead of having to pass the torch to a new generation. Anyways, didn't I say I was wanting to bang on about the, uh, the positives? Okay. So, <laughs> the irreverence, uh, what else did I say? Was that it? I think that's it. <laughs> that is it. I mean, you know the special effects are going to carry these movies, because they're likely thematically not going to wow you. So, dude, you know the space looks good, and I agree with you, the bombers, they kind of looked like, a, kind of like a, a slave ship, kind of, so I was into that, but then I, I agree with I you. Was, I was too, until... It was like, oh, you're driving a school bus to a freaking battlefield, great. Um, and yet the Millennium Falcon can maneuver through uh, a planet's crust and caves and the internals of a Star Destroyer. They hate that ship, dude. <laughs> Actually, that line hit. That hit. Me too, yeah. Uh, I definitely liked the Red Showroom. I mean, like, for me, I was like, that's why I went back to the theater. I wanted to check on that and one other thing. But, no, I, I definitely liked that. I thought Hamill really put on a show. Like, is there a reason to watch this movie? Yeah, watch Mark Hamill act his ass off. I mean, he was awesome. And I thought Del Toro was pretty good. I just, I mean, and I'll get into the thematics once we get there. Oh, and the hardware uh, wars. The hardware wars illusion was was deep cut. That was good. <laughs> okay, I really loved the opening dogfight. I thought it was spectacular. I really loved the, the design of um, Snoke's uh, Star Destroyer, that big, the, triang the, the sort of wider triangle. I loved that design. I actually really enjoyed it. There's a lot of designs that have come into this new Star Wars that I felt are cool but not amazing. That one's the first one that's that's taken my breath away where I've gone, oh my shit, that's awesome. The cute chick flying the A-wing, I dig her. <laughs> Seeing A-wings again briefly, of course, was cool for me. Just no B-wings or Y-wings. Yeah, what the fuck, but anyway. <sighs> Instead, World War II style bombers. <laughs> Yeah, which I could have been behind if they just put a bit more, ta uh, like if they'd done the drama better. But anyway, moving along, I want to keep this exciting. I really enjoyed the cinematography of this film. I think if there's one thing, like if, if somebody had to sit there and make me feel totally shit about this film and tear apart every single aspect of, of its story, of its plot, of its acting, of its characters, whatever, I could still easily come back and watch this film over and over again purely for the cinematography. I think it is so... For at least to my eye, it is so well shot. For about eighty percent of this film is just beautiful. And yes, style of a substance. Yes, I fully agree. But space operas are allowed to have that. I, I feel that you know. I feel that space operas are allowed to have that. I enjoyed that line about them hating that ship. I thought that was great uh, because obviously you know there's reasons to ha for the the new order to hate the Millennium Falcon. 
because they they're carrying on from the empire uh, from the old empire. I love that battle with the Praetorian guards or Praetorian guards in Snoke's chamber, the showroom. Um, that whole moment was fantastic. I like that. At least to me, it. I'm not entirely sure if it's Kylo Ren or Rey that actually kills Snoke. I think it's very much. It's very likely Kylo Ren, but a part of me still feels hmm, it could have been Rey. I dig the fact that Rey kind of when she faces herself in that pit. I like the fact that there's this sort of acceptance of the Force that it's light and dark, that the two shouldn't be separate and that it's constantly flowing, and that the Force is not, like we said earlier in this um, discussion, it is not specific to a person. It's that a person can wield the Force. The Force is an energy. I love that that concept was sort of reiterated in this film. I love that this film reminded of us of what the Force actually is. It completely destroyed the notion of metachlorians, and I fucking hate metachlorians. I hate that concept. I... Grew up not wanting to be a Jedi. And entitlement and bloodlines. Yeah, I absolutely. hated that shit. I grew up as a kid not wanting to be a Jedi. I grew up loving Star Wars as one, uh, wanting to be one of two things. Either a smuggler like Han Solo or a Sith. Why? Because I felt that the Jedi were too stuffy. I've always felt that way. I've always felt that, yes, it's great to have their power, but their lifestyle sucks. Whereas at least the Sith are a bit more unbridled in their in the in the way that they can choose to live. And I'm so grateful that that the ten year old in me could watch this film and go, oh wow, I could actually use the force and I don't have to become a stuffy Jedi to do it. I dug that. Uh, I, I like some of the decisions. I like the tension that Ryan Johnson was trying to create with the fuel cells. Um there are obviously lots of big holes there. I, I mean like Steve mentioned before, you know, an X-wing could have um, hyperspaced out uh, or you know jumped to light speed and gone and got some like help or something. The New Order could have also jumped and surrounded them and destroyed them where they are. She didn't. She could have, First Order. Yeah, sorry, First Order. She could have um, that that admiral played by Laura Dern. She could have Holder. initiated a plan far before... Vice Admiral Holder. There we go. You see, you're so good at the names. I'm just like that woman. <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, Jurassic Park lady. I, was, yeah. I kept seeing her and thinking Dr. Ellie Sadler, okay? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but she could have made that suicide move a lot sooner. But I still like how that all played out. It was dramatic for the moment. I enjoyed the final closing moments of the film as well. The the whole thing where Hamill, oh Hamill, where Luke beats Kylo in a battle of wits more than in a physical battle, and that the battle wasn't between Rey and Kylo Ren at that point. I thought that was also very cool. But yeah, those are all the things I really enjoyed about this movie. Oh, and there's one more thing that I really hate. I know why they did it. <laughs> You're ridiculous. I know, but come now, I, I mean, I've been gushing. The least I can do is just uh, add a little bit of spice to the gush. I really think that little moment with the little stable boy um, using the force to grab his broom, I know why they did it, just reinforce it, but I I don't think we needed that moment. It just ended off the film in the wrong note for me. The film already finished before that for me. Anyway, there we go. Those are the things I really enjoyed about that movie. Spicy. Curtis, do you want to get into these final thoughts that you've been threatening <laughs> for some time? <laughs> like, look, these entertainment networks are tight, and they're tighter than people think. So, like, if you're asking, do I censor myself? Here's the question that every artist, every human asks, 
themselves. And I'm not jumping into the deep end, but this is serious chatter to me. When do, when do you kind of like play nice? Uh, so I'm learning to do that on the fly. You guys have seen me kind of get a little wobbly, but I'm always going to stand by my word and you can always find me in the tweets, but I'm not going to drag this down. This is a holiday show. Uh, hopefully everybody's with good folk. Disney is, that was the question a couple years ago when we were talking Star Wars was, how do you draw the threads together? Again, like, if you know something and somebody else comes knocking, you know what the established threads are. You know what something's about. With Star Wars, Lucas was the voice, and now we can kind of see what Lucas was about. With G.I. Joe, it's the same thing. Hama, dude, think about this. Hama has been writing a storyline for 300 or so issues. It's getting up there. But it's it's one voice, so you can kind of see what's going on. With Disney, I, I'm not sure how to do this conversation, but I'm going to front-end it. I'm going to front-load it with the heavy names and then work backwards. There's this dude called Albert Pike. Um, he's kind of a, an occult bay, if you will. Uh, a lot of the big names in our society drop him. He's very quotable in certain circles. If, if you want to find some of his quotes, just uh, type in uh, Albert Pike World War III. Uh, or WW3. And he kind of speaks some fire in one of those quotes that says the third world war will be the destruction of religion on both sides, both the Christian and the Islamic side, because people will become so jaded with the leadership and the corruption that they'll destroy everything and revive at the true doctrine. And I'll let you read that in print. But, uh, one of the marketing things about the new Star Wars flick was the colors red and white. You may have seen color, those colors in vogue on a show called Westworld, and you'll you'll see those themes quite a bit. They're very uh, they're very important colors to some people. But as far as the movie itself, the theme in it is destroy the past, kill it if you have to. Yes. Um, <laughs> almost exactly what Kylo says. Let's just destroy everything. And Kylo's not necessarily the bad guy in the flick. He's one of two halves. He's a Gemini with uh, Rey. And they yeah. have an internal struggle. You know, do we try and bring the past with us or kill it all? You know, another way that we've seen that framed is not necessarily as dramatically, but you test, test, test. You, you look at the minor leagues. Let's look at G.I. Joe. And, and honestly, I'm not coming. At, I'm not coming at this from a vilifying angle. I think that that is the that is the question, and I think it's relevant. Do you destroy something so corrupt, or do you try and save the people? And that's kind of like the world we're looking at right now. And Disney is asking the question, or are they pushing an agenda? That's important. One of the ways to solve that question is to see what other projects Disney is working on right now. This is kind of funny. I mentioned this movie Coco earlier, but over the holidays, Disney put a buffer animated flick in front of the movie oh, that, that wasn't reviewed by critics. They just put it on there as bonus content. It was uh, mm -hmm. Olaf's Christmas, something or other. About, a, uh, yeah, about an animated, uh, I think it's a snowman. I, I did see it, unfortunately, but it did trigger me. So I guess it is, in retrospect, a good thing. In the short, they don't know what Christmas tradition is. 
So he goes around the city, collects all of the traditions, and on his way back, he wrecks the sleigh and it burns up. (laughs) When he gets back to the castle, he says, what Christmas is really about is the gathering of the people you love. Those are both Disney properties. I'm going to stop there. Joburg is not about pointing fingers. Uh, it's about it's about raising questions. But it's also worth noting that the Star Wars comic properties are now in the hands of IDW. So uh, cheers to that. That's a nice acquisition. Good job, yeah. guys. But uh, I no, I mean, I think... Than Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I look. We need both sides. It's okay. Mm. Here's here's a nice way to wrap up the the whole Sitterson saga. And, and G.I. Joe is not about him, but he is the most visible creator, or he was. And it's worth mentioning, it's it's worth framing this on the G.I. Joe side because it's been framed by uh, other uh, quote-unquote media. But I think that the other divisive person in this was uh, diversity in comics. I'm not going to speak on him, but he did say that like when Citizen got canned, the good guys won this one. I think that was his quote. Uh, nobody won here because we needed Citizen. We needed to work together. And I, I think we both lost because we didn't understand that in time. But that's social media. Like, it's not smooth and the story's not over. So I think that Star Wars is relevant. Look, that's that's the important thing. And, and like, a lot of the Joburg folk, uh, I think Cabal down south, Dude, it's freezing, brother, isn't it? Bundle up. He enjoyed the flick, and I get it, because he comes at it from a different perspective. So it's a movie that you can put yourself in different characters, I think. So mm-hmm. it's worth – it's it's a good flick. It's not necessarily, from what I'm seeing, well-intentioned, because there's too many things lining up in our society. But I'll say that this is a tough one to chew on for me. I have all the respect in the world for for IDW. I really do. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But I did enjoy uh, the Star Wars flick. It, it's it's made us talk passionately. So, mm. I mean, that's that's the point of art is to anger people the right way. Or to break their hearts. My my parting shot on Star Wars uh, before I wink out into the Force afterlife. <laughs> These sequels are murdering my childhood heroes one per movie. I just, I, I battle to bring myself to watch it. Uh, it's so funny you just said that. Because, <laughs> like, what I'm going to say totally counters what you're saying. <laughs> well, it's injurious to me. I'm sorry. I'm going into each film knowing fully well that another beloved character is going to Die. And in death, uh, none of us are noble or smart or or virtuous or heroic. We're just dead. And to see characters that are immortal in my mind meet their end, it's it's hard to watch, man. Uh, I, I don't want no, to. Definitely. I don't want to. I want them to live on in my in my imagination. Because I live in my imagination. I'm a an enjoyer of of playthings. These movies are maybe, killing. Maybe these killing. movies are saying that it's time for you to create, Stephen. And look at this cast of talent. <laughs> okay.
Okay, well, these movies are also saying to me that Star Wars is not for me. Star Wars is for the people who are able to let go of the past, embrace these new characters, and still love them as Star Wars. For me, man, Star Wars was first and foremost about the characters. And, of course, the sweet-ass spaceships. But the characters, that chemistry... Han, Luke, Leia, Lando, Chewie, C-3PO, R2-D2. I appreciate that these movies have to be a handover. You know, the torch needs to be passed to a new generation because no one's getting any younger. Neither are we. But none of them intrigue me. Let's not be deluded. Storytelling right now is not good. (laughs) (laughs) But that's my parting shots. Paul, as our, our... our avatar of positivity close out the show man okay you mentioned childhood and you mentioned the destruction of the sort of immortality of of some of your childhood heroes and that's how i felt after the prequels when star wars 1 2 and 3 came out they had forever changed my perception of darth vader and for that i cannot forgive episode 1 2 and 3 they have literally fucked Vader up for me, okay? Vader is something I used to love. I still love Vader now, but it's just it's not the same. I don't get that same tingle inside of me, and thankfully Rogue One brought that back. But the point that I'd like to make is, is that they can make new Ghostbusters, they can make new Ninja Turtles, they can make Transformers, they can make a movie based on Mask, they could make anything they want to, because my childhood had... Episode 4, Episode 5, Episode 6. My childhood had Jurassic Park. My childhood had Ghostbusters 1 and 2 and the fantastic animated series that followed it. My childhood had a great trans- uh, representation of the Transformers, and that's mine. You know, the new generation may be able to look back at that and get into that and really appreciate it, but that's mine. That's ours. Uh, and and that is why I think I can feel safe in sequels, uh, sequels and remakes, is that it doesn't matter what they do, I will always have my direction for the characters quite firmly rooted in my brain, because I'm also a chronic daydreamer and somebody who loves to live in my uh, my imagination, as are we all here on G.I. Joe book. I mean, we still play with toys, for crying out loud. <laughs> but I think any kind of damage that uh, episodes... 8, 9, and 10 can do will never really hurt Star Wars for me. It's only the damage that the prequels could do, and that is and, and that is why if we were talking about prequels now, I would be 7, 8, full and of 9, it. bro. Sorry, Sorry 7, 7, 8, 8 9. 9. Did I say 8, 9, and 10? Sorry, I meant 7, 8, and 9. I keep thinking Jedi 7 for some reason. Anyway, but they can never, like, dent or hurt my childhood interpretations of those characters. And it's actually something that even the expanded universe with all of the craziness that the expanded universe gave us, I always used to think, okay, cool. That's a nice. What if I cherry picked the things that I liked and I kept them. And I would like to just quote Bruce Lee here, uh, because I think it's relevant here. Keep that, which is essential. Discard that, which is unnecessary. Okay. I haven't quoted him verbatim, but you know, if you'd like me to just uh, lay it out for you, keep the stuff that matters to you and get rid of the stuff that you don't like. And like, for example, Steve here doesn't dig Last Jedi. He's never going to pick up the Blu-ray. 
And if somebody gives it to him, he's going to keep it on his shelf and he's going to be like, that's really cool to have. And he doesn't have to let that upset his Star Wars journey. And, I, and I'd like to extend that to our listeners. You know, if Last Jedi is something that moved you and, 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 and entertained you, awesome. If it didn't, that's cool because, hey, we still have what we grew up with. Paramount couldn't destroy G.I. Joe for us. Paramount couldn't destroy Transformers for us. I know everybody wanted to bitch and moan, but I'm like, movie Transformers, hey, whatever. It made them make more Transformers toys. At the moment, we're getting really cool Star Wars toys. Well, kind of. Uh, <laughs> you know, at least from Japan, in, in my opinion. Anyway, so that's just my parting shots. Also, that cute chick in the A-Wing, man. Sorry. <laughs> She's hot. I dug her. Is single like, right now, dude? What's going on? No. No, no. Lily and I were both like, oh, that chick in the A-Wing's hot. <laughs> No, he just wants to have a three-way. That's what he wants. Damn. I'm not. Uh, I'm not confirming or denying uh, what you have said. And uh, you, you and your girlfriend turned heads at that A-wing pilot. Okay. No. Didn't she get pasted? No one survived. Director's cut. No, I know. That's why it was tragic. It was just a fleeting moment. Excuse <laughs> like, the pun. I think like uh, like maybe a dozen rebels survived that debacle. Jeez. Can... Whittled down, whittled down to nothing. Those uh, force-sensitive kids on Canto Bite better hurry up and complete their Jedi training, because <laughs> that's oh. that's all they got. No one came to the rescue of General Organa. Oh, exactly. And I also, I enjoyed old. Um, I can never remember the dude's name, but the guy from Toy Galaxy. Um, I I enjoyed that show. Well, I enjoy a lot of his shows, but he had a little bit of a Star Wars, you know, video that went on. And I urge our listeners to go and check it out because I like where he comes from. Um, but I have to share his sentiments. I am a little bit excited to see what they can do. Even if they fuck it up, I'm actually just kind of like, I'm just curious to see what they do. The one thing that has hurt me about Star Wars going forward is the video games. I'm, I, if there's one thing I'm disappointed in, it's the video games. You know, Dark Knight 2 is one of my favorite Star Wars themed games ever made and I would love to have more of that but instead we keep getting multiplayer shooters we're not getting any cool Starfighter games oh Rogue One was my other favorite one not uh yeah Rogue One um yeah Rogue Squadron <laughs> Rogue Squadron on the on Dark the Dark Knight is there Dark Knight Dark Forces sorry Jedi Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight it's Jedi a very cool Academy. game no Jedi Knight Jedi Academy is the third one mm-hmm. um Jedi Knight is cool because it has the expansion where you can use Mara Jade as well. Anyway, I urge you guys to check it out. It's on Steam. I think it's less than t- than $8. Um, check it out. It's a very, very cool game. But, yeah, man, I, I don't think anybody can destroy Star Wars for me now uh, because, thankfully, we won't get any more prequels, hopefully. Um, although the Han Solo movie does have me worried. <laughs> um, I-, I-, I find it completely unnecessary. I don't think we need it. Um, I would like us to just carry on moving forward into the future now and just see what they do with it. And, you know, while they're doing it, they can just release uh, better versions of, of the stuff from 4, 5, and 6 in toy form, and I'll be pretty happy, even though I'm not the biggest Star Wars toy collector. Anyway, I think I, I can't gush anymore. I think I'm all gushed out. <laughs> yeah, all over the A-Wing pilots. Should we all over <laughs> Guys, this film even slightly redeemed BB-8 for me. Okay, BB-8 became cool in that he did cool shit, but it wasn't in front of the camera. It wasn't like, oh, look at BB-8 being cute in front of the camera. It was just like, 
every now and then something happened, and then it like sort of panned. Okay, BB-8 did that, and that was cool. And he had his little like his hijinks as you know trying to pretend to be a really big mouse bot and whatever. And I thought that was cute. I had a good laugh. The film was full of good stuff, and I want a Praetorian a Praetorian God figure now badly because I love those things. The I love the Chicken Walker was hey? a step too far with the robot. Oh yeah, but yeah. that didn't bug me. Like there was a lot of like I, I was expecting that kind of shit. And you know what? At least it wasn't as bad as the R two D two hijinks from the prequels. And because I like R two, but that's you know, true. That's true. It, you know what I mean? It it wasn't like as in your face. In fact, uh, somebody I spoke to recently uh, mentioned something to me, and I was like, "You're actually kind of right." George Lucas in episodes one, two, and three was more goofy with some of the stuff he did, than Disney has been. And i got to agree with that in a lot of ways. Also, I think Porgs are cannibals, because if anybody thinks that that Porg was trying to make Chewie feel bad for eating a Porg, uh, I think you're wrong. I think that Porg was really upset that Chewie wasn't sharing with him. Either that or I'm really <laughs> fucking dead. Look, the way that thing plumped up, I'm eating that. Yeah, exactly. Delish. Yeah, to hell with that. Chewie's not about to turn vegan. Exactly, man. Look, uh, I I think, look, we missed Robert's voice in this chat. I think he would have paced us out. That's what you thought, Cujo. And that's why I got Rob to send us an MP3. So, what does Rob think of The Last Jedi? (laughs) In the moment, I found it exceptionally enjoyable. I think the film has a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And the lows are really annoying and the highs are really great. It's kind of like most blockbusters that come out these days, um, you really enjoy them as they go by, but often the more you think about them, the more irritating they become. Probably one of the most annoying things about this film coming out in Hollywood and by Disney right now is the often out-of-character jokes. We got some of these in the previous movie, you know, kind of just funny throwaway lines and stuff. But in this one, it just felt completely out of place and kind of drew you out of the moment. And that was just really annoying and irritating. It feels also kind of like what Marvel seems to do quite a lot, where characters, you know, just delight in the mood. They suddenly tell a joke and it doesn't fit who they are and, and what's going on. That's just a general comment. But... What about something that I liked? Technically, the film is really good. I mean, it's very well made, well shot. One of the earliest things I really enjoyed was the initial attack on the Dreadnought at the start of the movie. And it it actually gave me chills (laughs) when I saw that they weren't just X-Wings. You know, I mean, they they updated the X-Wings a little bit for the... Force Awakens, but they had more than just X-Wings. We saw A-Wings again, and even though they weren't B-Wings, the bombers were really quite awesome. Not sure how they get around, moving so slow, but uh, it's because they had so many bombs on them. So that sequence was was really quite cool, seeing Poe Dameron flying around and destroying the Dreadnought's cannons. I really did quite like that. And the general kind of dread setup for the rest of the film, the um, slow and steady chase between 
the First Order and the Resistance, it was kind of cool. It kind of set things on a clock, kind of like a countdown, and then you saw some of the other ships getting destroyed as they went along. Um, I thought that was really quite cool. But what kind of weighed it down and made it feel not so, ooh, you know, we need to get out of this situation. It's really important. Was, for me at least, the completely superfluous and boring plotline between Finn and Rose um, on their boring, super preachy, you know, adventure on a on a casino planet, and oh, the, the rich people, oh, oh animals. Um, really, what does this actually have to do with Star Wars, and what does this actually have to do with anything that's going on anywhere else in the movie? It's really annoying, and. Rose, kind of kind of cute character, a little bit full of herself. Her eventual sabotage of Finn's attempt at heroic sacrifice, to me, just it felt really reckless and pointless. It didn't add anything to what was going on, and just ruined an incredible moment. I don't want to see Finn die. I think Finn's a cool character. I've come to like him a lot, and. It, it just felt really silly and stupid, like, you're stopping him from destroying the Death Star cannon? After the film has just shown us how powerful, you know, a sacrifice can be when the, uh, uh, I can't remember her name, but the purple haired lady flew the, you know, the frigate, the, the, the big spaceship, she, you know, hyper-jumped back into the First Order ships and destroyed them in an incredibly beautiful moment with the, you know, the flash and all of that. So it's like sacrifice, you know, when done for the right reasons is heroic and it's, it's commendable, but then the film itself cuts that down, you know, like moments later, in a couple of scenes later. And just says, yeah, no, actually, yeah, you know, let's not bother with that. Something else I really liked was the was the fight between Kylo Ren and Rey um, that they have with Snoke's guards. It was it was really quite cool, especially that moment when uh, Kylo Ren kind of grabs the lightsaber that Rey's thrown to him, and he just kind of like quickly, you know, flicks it on and off. And basically does a headshot on the guy. <laughs> I thought that was that was really quite cool. Yeah, that was, that was really quite awesome. Finally getting to see Luke after so many years and, you know, the type of person he's become in his exile. I think I think it was appropriate where he where his character went, you know, he kind of he was disillusioned with everything after his his failure as a as a Jedi master, a Jedi teacher, and some of the little moments with him were really cool and really funny. But him throwing the, I don't know, like this film I think works overall as a good movie, but as kind of like a film for longtime fans of Star Wars, it kind of it just it, it niggles and it, and it annoys, while. The Force Awakens kind of panned almost too much to, 
you know, to kind of like, hey, you know, don't worry, Star Wars is great, um, everything's good, everything's everything's awesome, um, enjoy all of these fan service moments. As Kylo Ren himself says, that paraphrasing probably, let the past die, kill it if you have to. They just throw everything out in this movie. Like, you know, you had a theory, all your theories are wrong. As Luke says, um, I think at least once, maybe twice, everything you just said is wrong. Anything you could possibly have thought of that could happen in this movie did not happen. And maybe even the complete opposite. Who's Rey? Mm, nobody. She ain't, she ain't nothing. Who's Snoke? Eh, who cares? He's dead now. Although, is he dead? Is he? I mean, yes, he got cut in half. But... As anyone who's seen the Clone Wars, you know, Darth Maul got cut in half, but he came back. Yes, we've got that cool close-up of Snoke's, you know, kind of like dead-looking face, but if Leia can come back from basically being blown out into space, Snoke can come back from being cut in half. So I'm not, I'm not ruling him out. Never, 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 ever. <laughs> yeah, about Leia coming back to life. I think it's a really powerful moment. I mean, the music swells up. Uh, you think, ah, oh, you know, her Karen, she's dead, um, but she kind of, she, she kind of pulls through. And I think what makes it really sad in that moment is that you know that. The actress, I mean, Carrie Fisher, you know, rest in peace, she <clears throat> she did pass away after making this movie. And I think, I mean, I've, I've watched a whole bunch of reviews and other things since seeing the movie. I think it would have been really powerful if in that moment, as um, I think I watched uh, the Armoured Skeptic made a, made a review, um, it would have been powerful if they could have had her actually pass away in that moment because it would have helped you know with Kylo's conflict kind of storyline character development he considered killing her but didn't and then that got taken away from him and she died anyway I feel like there were that was a missed opportunity and then once again even though in the moment Luke Luke taking on Kylo by being on the other side of the galaxy and basically, uh, I don't know, force projecting himself into that situation was really well executed. And even though I had actually kind of picked up on the fact that Luke wasn't leaving footprints, I just assumed, you know, he's he's just moving so fast that he, you know, he's not kind of like leaving footprints. Um, even though I picked up on that, um, it was still quite a, quite a revelation, you know, like, wow, this is something that someone can do with the force you know they can project themselves and be so convincing but I don't know I don't know what this says about Luke that he he stayed behind and you know he bought them the time they needed and I don't know like I think even even a week after watching this movie I'm still processing what this movie means to me I don't know, like, I've, I've always been a fan of Star Wars, and 
it's always great to see like more stuff or uh, or read books about it and even though like my internalized knowledge isn't incredible like I can't remember every single detail these characters mean a lot to me and seeing Yoda it was it was fantastic but at the same time I mean it's a puppet I mean the <laughs> it's so cool to see a puppet Yoda but his characterization kind of felt off yes it isn't the you know the kind of super wise guy from the from the prequels but he wasn't insane you know on on Dagobah he wasn't in an insane little pixie elf dude who you know who plays jokes as a prankster as I think I mean another reviewer said he was testing Luke it was a test I can imagine him kind of going a bit loopy on his own on a planet <laughs> there was no one else to talk to except Obi-Wan um well oh, I don't know did he no Obi-Wan wasn't dead yet Pfft, sorry maybe he's talking to uh What's his name? Not Django Fett. <laughs> Qui-Gon <Jinn. laughs> Maybe he's talking to him. I don't know. And yes, burning down, you know, everything. It's it's symbolic and it's setting Star Wars free to, to kind of be whatever, whatever, you know, the people who who write it, who, who move it along and direct it now can be. And connecting everything to everything else is, is completely unnecessary. I mean, it's a huge galaxy. You know, there, there's tons of stuff out there. And it would be cool to see a lot more. It really does feel like, even more so than after seeing, like, the prequels, which which expanded a lot on... You know, if you can say nothing else about the prequels, they expanded tons on the world and, and everything back then. But also, in, in ways, they expanded it in directions that were unexpected and that people didn't appreciate. I mean, the Jedi Order is really restrictive and and they they definitely seem to have some sort of monopoly on on like training Jedi and like this is the right way to be force sensitive and stuff like that and they you know, mini chlorines and shit like that. But it feels like oh, you know, now that we've burned down the the Jedi Temple and all the texts and and, and no one else knows what Jedi's are We've, you know, we've solved the problem. Now people can use the Force however they like. Luke essentially used the Force the way that he needed to use it. Yes, he may have sought out the knowledge after the fact, but he was still a Force for good, you know, without the overly restrictive training, like hectic training of a Jedi Master. When you got a bit of it, you know, kind of the conditioning and the help of Yoda, but it wasn't, you know, over the top. Yeah, I think I'm still processing like what I what I feel about this movie. It's maybe that in itself is um, is a comment on the film, or maybe I'm just thinking about it too hard. <laughs> but I think I really enjoyed Ray in this. Um, her character. I like her a lot more in this than I did in the first one. Like I really felt the pain of um, of realizing that you know her parents didn't care about her, and I thought that was kind of cool. 
Carter Wren is still very interesting, still a, you know, kind of like a man baby, <laughs> even more so in this one. But I really don't know. I think, yeah, in the moment, very enjoyable, but you think about it too much and it just, it kind of leaves me upset, a little bit sad. Where is this all going? It can go anywhere, like literally anywhere. We don't know. <laughs> I'm not ready yet to place this in kind of any any kind of order of, of my, my, my top, you know, like films of Star Wars. Yeah. I don't know how definitive this was what this was, but <laughs> hopefully you got something out of this. Um so thanks for listening to me waffle on for twenty minutes. Cheers. Alright. I think that's it. Episode 107's a wrap. And uh, if you haven't finished your rapping, best get on it, G.I. Joe Burgers. <laughs> this is Steve saying, may the force be with you. Joe Fundos, damn it. <laughs> oh, yeah. We oh, yeah. Fuck it. Joe Fund, man. If you loved... Uh, I'm going to okay, do the let, let me go for a minute. Let me go for a minute. Let's talk Joe Fund me. Like, dude... You're talking the best t-shirts. No, they're not done yet, but trust me, they're going to hit right when you need them. Dude, break these guys off for 50 or 20. It's a no-brainer. You're throwing money around for the holidays. Uh, this is just, yeah. Anyway, I'm done. Here's your Paul. I'm going to do the prototypical sort of um, exit speech. Um, if you guys enjoyed our Star Wars discussion and love our G.I. Joe book discussions, or feel that we're really wrong or really right, or you love us or hate us, Remember that you could get us in your own personal space at JoeCon next year if you go and check out our GoFundMe page. That's right. Um, we would love to have these kind of conversations with you, our listeners, in person uh, and not just via chat boxes on YouTube because I know a lot of us have cool stuff to say but sometimes we're scared of putting it in the chat box. I know I am. So, yeah, man. Hit us up on that JoeFundMe and, uh, yeah, you know, pledge $5.00. Pledge $10. Uh, as Kujo said, we've got some really amazing t-shirts and swag. If it's not about the swag and it's just about getting us there, tell your friends. Tell your friends to put together their Starbucks money. And if each of them could like give us $5, it's going to help us get to you a lot quicker. Yeah. Yo, Joe. G.I. Joe Berg. Woo. Oh, yeah. G.I. Joe Berg. We're out, guys. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Watch this space. We'll be back. Bye. Bye.